Hello, Jagoons. This is Jagoon 7. That's how I made the bird. Today's episode will be the last one on the leadership series. We'll be on, focused on the rank of Sergeant Major. As always, though, we will always focus on all levels of leadership. Soldiers don't expect you to be the best, but they do expect you to be present. As much as you try, you don't ever spend enough time with your soldiers. And the most important person to be able to lead is that person on the other side of the toothbrush that you look at every morning. We have a very, very special guest, one of my personal heroes, and his time in, in the Army is nothing short of remarkable. But also, his time since his retirement has continued to impact the military with his leadership, but most importantly, on his ability to reflect on his time in uniform, and then share it in a way that influences leaders in and out of the Army. Sergeant Major retired Scott Schroeder joined the Army in 1983 as a 25 uniform, which is an electric mechanic. His assignments include as a drill sergeant, the 75th Ranger Regiment, 3 Corps, 82nd, 101st, JROTC, 7th ID, U.S. Army's Force Command, and then finally Force Comp Command. His deployments include Sinai, Egypt, Afghanistan, and I'm going to age him a little bit, Desert Storm in Iraq, and then also the Global War on Terrorism in Iraq. Uh, so without further ado, Sergeant Major, uh, it is absolutely my pleasure and my honor to have you on the episode today. Uh, so if you would, please just uh, kind of introduce yourself to the audience. Well, first, uh, thanks for having me, Sergeant Major Burke. And uh, I think you're the only Sergeant Major on this uh, podcast today. I tell people, I'm Scott. And uh, Sergeant Major is what I was and not who I am. So feel free to call me Scott. I just picked highlights um, from your career. We could have just uh, did an entire podcast on the things that you've done in the, in the Army. With all the positions you've held, you have one or two that you think are the most memorable, the ones that developed you the most or maybe just the most exciting. I will tell you there were several. When you say positions, I'm, I'm going to go by rank and the most developmental because I think at every level, that's what feeds the leader uh, in the future, what your experiences are, and you develop as a leader through younger grades. So I think being a staff sergeant was the most influential time in my career. Actually, I was speaking to some a couple of weeks ago. One was talking about he, he had finished his squad leader time and I asked him how long that was. And I, I think he said like 24 months and he was waiting for a platoon to open up and he was still a staff sergeant. And I, I said, well, I'm sure there's still some squad leader positions open someplace where you can do more. I told him I was a squad leader for 57 months. There's a lot of reps and sets that I got from that. And really, that lends to uh, mastery. I think I talk about that in the book. And mastery is not necessarily thinking outside the box. It's knowing the box so well that you can reform it to shape your needs. And so I think that I really learned that at the staff sergeant level. And that's really what I would go back to. I would lean on. Yeah, I talk, uh, to, I talk to squad leaders, you know, when I'll see him. You know, at ranges or different training exercises where they're trying to do something uh, complicated. Let's talk about understanding the box. Same thing you just said. Before we can talk about out the box thinking, you have to know and you have got to be a master of what's in the box first. Right. The next level of leadership was the first being a first sergeant. I mean, really, as a platoon sergeant, I mean, you have a platoon leader that's a counterpart, but really, as a when you have that commander who's absolutely responsible for the organization and you're there to support the commander, you're still a little bit more experienced in the type of unit that you're in, focusing on people training and the processes. Uh, that you go through. I, I learned a lot there. And the biggest jump for me in my leadership journey was moving from battalion to brigade. Yeah. That's the first time I really realized that 
no matter what, I didn't know everything that was going on in the unit. And I had to reconcile myself to, to be okay with that. That was a big jump. I really loved being a division sergeant major, especially while we were deployed. It worked out where one point while we were deployed, we had almost 17,000 soldiers from the division deployed. That was very special. And then IJC, when I was there with three corps, I learned a lot about joint as well as international command. I mean, you got to take a humble pill. I consider myself relatively humble. I, w- I would end up carrying my own chair to meetings when I was at IJC. <laughs> Besides brigade CSM, from going from core to force com was just a huge jump. And I really didn't understand what force com was until I was after I'd been there for like six or eight months, really. Um, so I say a lot is uh, to be a platoon sergeant was the best job I ever had. It's also a little bit because of the time in the space. We're talking, you know, 2007 to 2010, but deployment after deployment, kicking doors, training, just with my soldiers every single day. But it was the best job I ever had. First sergeant job was the most rewarding job I ever had. Watching those young soldiers become NCOs and NCOs, you know, becoming senior NCOs and then senior NCOs ended up, you know, some of them became, you know, first sergeants with me. Uh, it was definitely the, the most rewarding job I ever had. And then uh, being a sergeant major, that's a squadron level. I'm not going to quantify uh, the brigade yet because I'm not quite done. Uh, battalion CSM, squadron CSM, uh, it was the most impactful job I ever had. You finally have a seat at the table where you can have the conversations where you can make big changes for your soldiers and things that, you know, have made you mad for 20 years of service that you've just never, ever quite had the positional power to really influence or to really change as a battalion CSM. You can just say, we're not doing that anymore. That does not pass the common sense check. We're not doing that anymore. It was an amazing thing for me. And uh, the jump that you talk about in ranks of CSM, you know, I served in the same regiment coming up here. I was just blown away with the complexity and the volume of things that we had to do. Still, sometimes I stand back in awe. Like as I sit right now, we I have we have soldiers in no less than seven countries right now. You know, yeah. so it's, it's, it's remarkable. That, that adds additional complexity. To, to the leadership yes. challenge. At, at the battalion level, you're really around organizations that or, or the people are, are from your background. When you move to a brigade, then you start bringing on different organizations. So as, as a, mm-hmm. as an infantryman, yeah. you know, you have, now you have engineers, you have an engineer company, you have an Intel company and, and your maintenance challenges are a little bit more complex. I, I would say get to know those other organizations and those soldiers spend more time with them because that's where you really learn how you can impact organizations at much higher levels. That's that's where it's done. If you stay with all the people you know and the organizations that you know how they operate, you won't grow. You stay in your comfort zone. The best piece of advice I got right before I took uh, the brigade was uh, from uh, Sergeant Major Nash, who's uh, currently 4th ID Sergeant Major. He said, you know your infantry units. You need to spend all your time in the other ones. I wouldn't say I've been totally successful, but uh, I've definitely viewed a guy who tried to spend as much time as I possibly can, especially like a regimental support squadron, which just... I mean, the things they have to support uh, being a striker formation and the amount of hours they put in and the logistics going to that. Those lieutenants that talk about things and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. I have no idea what they're talking about. Like, right. <laughs> 
So in uh, 2018, we published a book on NCO leadership uh, behind the colors. Everybody in GCR, especially the senior leaders, and there's some soldiers who, frankly, also pressed me in some way or I've had just really great conversations with them. And I said, hey, you get a chance to come up to my office and give them a coin, give them a sticker, but then also give them a copy of your book as well. And I say, you read this book and you understand this book. It won't tell you everything. But it will posture you for, for what you need to be able to do as a leader in our army. So I'd love to hear you talk about the book a little bit. Well, I appreciate that. I, I thought I had something to say, and it's something that really was um, I was working on, especially at the at, my, at the at our senior levels, uh, as I was a senior sergeant major, really from brigade on, and understanding our. You know, the, the history of the NCO Corps is uh, we have made some huge shifts. And when we shifted from an army of uh, airland battle, 99, 98, 99, 2000, and, and we started deploying and we started doing counterinsurgency, the role of the NCO while we were deployed in counterinsurgency changed quite a bit. You know, we had our officers fulfilling roles that state department officials would have been uh, fulfilling because we had a huge. And so that coupled with just uh, the nature of a counterinsurgency versus, you know, combined arms maneuver, uh, we shifted. And now the army is shifting back to light area security and what combined arms maneuver. And what we did during counterinsurgency was the roles of non-commissioned officers, warrant officers, and officers kind of merged together a little bit and and there wasn't a distinct separation in what each filled and now with combined arms maneuver it is absolutely necessary to be able to separate those out and understand what your roles are when i would go around sometimes ncos weren't able to really articulate what what their role was and what are the things that they focused on and and sometimes neither could commanders clearly articulate what they expected from their ncos and yeah. Army Regulation 600-20, I mean, it spells it out. So do our ADPs. It, it spells it out and tells them what they should do. And, and I believe our doctrine is very good. But what we don't do a very good job at is we provide leaders with a lot of information. But we don't say, hey, if you don't do anything else, just do these things right here. That's why... I broke it down by grade and said, okay, if you don't do anything else, Sergeant, I need you to lead by personal example. I need you to train individual team and crew tasks, and I need you to be able to inspect. If you can do those three things, that sets the foundation for everything you will do in the future because you won't stop doing those three things. Even as a force commissar major, I would go work to lead by personal example focused my efforts on individual and team training and inspected. And so that's that's kind of how I drove what I did and supported the commander's priorities. And so I did that for each grade. The part also I like about that, and I think it ties into a little bit too of what you're saying, as a squadron CSM, when I was doing the expectation counseling for the platoon science and the first science, I was also able to use those as kind of that expectation counseling framework. When I came up to regiment, I did the exact same thing for the squadron CSMs and then uh, first arms. And, uh, it, you know, I'm going to use those three focus areas as well. So I think not only for the individual, you know, what I need to be focused on, I think the leaders also can look at those three focus areas, lay out the expectations, 
and then overlay that with whatever the commander's intent is as well, because, you know, commanders have priorities, philosophies, but us as, you know, the NCOs, we just have focus areas and, you know, we have initiatives as well, but don't necessarily have kind of guidance, so to speak. Um, I think that's just another, at least a tool that I've used, you know, ever since the, the, the publication of the book and uh, I've gotten great feedback from it and uh, a lot of, a lot of benefit across the formation. Yeah. One of the things I would tell uh, start majors is, uh, I mean, a lot of times we won't get those, that guidance from a commander. Uh, I like the word efforts. There's only one set of command priorities, and that's the commander's priorities. Those become everybody's priorities. But based on my role, I set up a set of efforts. Here's the efforts for each one of your priorities. These are the things that I am going to do to help focus my efforts against your priorities. And then I would go knock on the door and I would hand them a hard copy and then we would we would talk about it. And I would say, hey, these are things that I want to do. That does a couple things for you. I mean, they, they understand what you're trying to work on. And, and so you can understand which ones they support, which ones they might not support, how you might be able to change that. And so that's that's how I go. I, I, I look at efforts and not understand your role. This podcast, you know, we're, we're focusing on you know, the CSM leadership, but I think it applies, you know, for all NCOs. I think another part of that, of understanding the roles, is not just your commander's priorities, as you, as you discussed, but then also, you know, the next echelon of commander as well. Um, and you have to work to build that relationship with whoever that senior leader is. I, I try to as a regimental sergeant major by telling the regimental commander, hey, you've got to talk to squadron CSMs, got to make it a little bit more formal where you have prescribed times. You know, you do a great mentorship for all the officers, but it's just as important for those squadron CSMs as well. So I, think what I, what I, I guess what I'm asking you to kind of talk about is just how important it is for these NCOs to also facilitate the relationship with their higher commander, their commander's commander, so to speak. That's a good question. I think sometimes it, happen, it may happen naturally or it might not. I mean, it might not happen. I think it's important to understand what they are, but hopefully hopefully our, our commanders, uh, their priorities are nested with, the, with, with their commander's priorities. I, I will tell you this. It's really important to uh, be prepared when they, they come to you and ask for input. It's important to be prepared because you might not get a lot of shots at it. It's, it's something that, you know, I'm trying to facilitate more and more because, yes, the commander's priorities should be in line with, you know, their commander's priorities, but sometimes the interpretation can lead them down the wrong path. And it, again, as a, as a star major, the more you're in line with the higher headquarters, the more you can advise uh, the commander because it's all about perception. Do we all process information a different way? So you could be in the same meeting or having the same light conversations, but I'm a have different takeaways than my commander is. So then there, I can just kind of give him that holistic kind of approach and understanding maybe just, you know, something that he necessarily wasn't always looking at. You know, just like you talked about, he's going to be biased because he has his priorities at his echelon. Um, so he might be just trying to work for how they mess with his priorities that he already wanted to establish. Yeah. So now I've had a couple seconds to think about it. Here, here's what I would tell you, though. Just, just like I don't be afraid to invite them down. If you have something yeah. going on in your organization, maybe, maybe you have maybe you have something special that's happening inside your uh, squadron, or if you're a first sergeant, maybe maybe ask the battalion commander down, or you ask the brigade commander and sergeant major down. Invite them to some of your events so they can see what your soldiers are doing, and then you can also get some insights. There could be times when they're feeling like they're uh, 
invading or imposing on you? Because sometimes, no matter what, when, when a commander or a senior leader goes to an organization, they're going to take something from you, whether it's time or resources. I mean, but some of my comments later on is uh, always leave more than you take, right? Uh, I think what was it you used in uh, in the book? You talked about a uh, oh, pecan pie. Yeah. <laughs> Two best things about being deployed, right? Banana milk for breakfast and pecan pie for every other meal. <laughs> I went out to an OP and I mean, there was only like 10 people in this OP when I was with the 101st. I was spending the night up there going through the chow line with red lens flashlight and I stick my hand in the box and there's only one piece of pecan pie left. I took a deep breath and, and let it out. Uh, I mean, it was involuntary or unconscious. And somebody said, hey, what's wrong, Sergeant Major? And I said, uh, nothing. Don't worry about it. They said, well, what, no, what's wrong? I said, well, this is the last piece of pecan pie. And I said, well, go ahead and take it. I said, not not a chance. I'm not going to take the last piece of pecan pie. And, and that's going to be the story uh, from my visit. And so yep. a few minutes later, somebody comes with a whole box. So then I took it and I said, hey, always leave more than you take. Because uh, no matter what, you're going to take something from your subordinates when you go spend time with them. So it's important to leave more than you take. I think that's a good tie into kind of followership, uh, followership which you talk about uh, quite a bit in the book. And uh, I just personally believe that it's not something that's uh, talked about. And it also ties into, you know, just kind of knowing your role in leadership dynamic, in and out of the military. Why is followership so important? I know of no single person that is not subordinated to somebody else. Yep, absolutely. And the most important person to be able to lead is that person on the other side of the toothbrush that you look at every morning. I mean, before you can lead others, you have to be able to lead yourself. When I was at IJC, sitting inside the commander's office, sometimes the ISAF commander would call. And I would tell you that uh, that commander that I was serving with at the time was probably one of the best subordinates that I ever worked with. But you would never know it from being on the outside. So I would say there are a few people, you know, no matter what position you're in, in, in life, you're subordinated to somebody. So it's important to understand yourself and it's really important to understand your role and then priorities and efforts. So that's, it's really important to be able to follow. You can't follow and you can't lead until you can follow. I think you're spot on. And you talked about being a leader. I think one of the, one of the interesting parts um, discussed in the book, so major is how you came on mid-strider deployment. If I remember correctly, you got that told by you at the Sergeant Major Academy that you were, you were deployed via the CSM, correct? Actually, I ended up going to Carson, and I, then I was at oh, Fort Carson. You know, at that time, we had a list, and it was much different than, than it is right now. And, and you, there was an order of merit list, and there were numbers on this list, and people were getting called up. Long story short, I sent a note to Sergeant Major Hill, who was a Division Sergeant Major in the 101st, and sent him a note, and he said, okay, got it. Don't call those people anymore at uh, the Sergeant Major's branch. And stand by. And then, and then I got a note back. It was probably the middle of November. And he said, I need you in country on by 12 December. And, and now it's scurry and hurry to be able to figure out how to get to, to Fort Campbell and then into Iraq. What's some of the advice you would give when you came into an organization like that, you know, mid stride of a deployment where they've really kind of formed their team in you know, a very stressful situation on a deployment, you know, and integrating yourself as a leader, um, you know, and building respect and trust quickly um, because it's needed in a situation like that. Just by nature of the military, in, in a lot of respects, you have automatic credibility, right? You don't get selected to be a battalion sergeant major without without some form of potential, and even sergeants in in some case, in in most cases, I mean, we hold sergeants to a pretty high standard before they uh, get selected. We, you know, when you read the when you read the the 
uh, orders, you, you tell them, uh, you know, based on your demonstrated leadership potential, all right? It's important to come in and be patient and not be judgmental. The importance of presence and going out. I mean, I just go out on patrols and spend time with the different units and it just takes time. I've learned a lot since being out and being able to um, verbalize some of the things that I was doing. One is uh, in the military, in the army, we focus on our weaknesses when really we should be leaning on our strengths. I mean, if you try to avoid your weaknesses or deny your weaknesses, your subordinates, everybody can see your weaknesses. If we only focus on our weaknesses, the best we can hope to be is probably mediocre. People can say, hey, you should focus on your weaknesses. But then I also think when we talk about being a, a senior NCO and uh, we have to rapidly assimilate to organizations, and especially in this circumstances, focus on your strengths. Know what you're good at. At this point in your life, you should know what you're good at. If you don't, then maybe you need to kind of sit down and do some meditation and do some reflection. I think, I, especially when you're trying to get those quick wins and build that credibility, you know, I think you do need to kind of focus on your strengths and know what you're good at, whatever that might be. So talking about the three focus areas on it, you know, we've already referred to it a couple different times. So at the star major rank, you have shape, influence, and then you also talk about drive. The, the first one, when you talk about shape, talk about the people, the programs, and the policies. What do you mean by shape? What do you think about shape? Is it is a CSM or is it NCO, you know, at all? What do you mean by shaping an organization? Well, you shape it by your input, who you interact with and who you inform and understanding who the decision makers are. You help shape that. I mean, that's, that's kind of influence also. Where, where do you, how, do you, how do you influence different things? You might not ever get to the outcome that you're seeking, but you'll be a lot closer to the outcome if you're working on common ground with others. And, and I talk about people, programs, and policies in the book. People are our legacy. So when you focus on people and you mentor people and you help train and develop others, so you're going to shape the organization by investing in your people. Programs really support priorities or the efforts of the organization. And so if you can focus on shaping those programs that you're trying to cause your organizational identity uh, or the climate in your organization. You can work on programs for that. And then when you talk about policies, it's uh, it's about regulating requirements, right? So what's the school's, what's our school's policy? And I'll tell you, at the, at the brigade level, I decided that you probably see lots of requests for exceptions to policy. Some people were using exceptions to policy as a as just to be able to circumvent the policy itself. An exception to policy is for an exceptional person or an exceptional circumstance. Yeah. Identify which this is, because if you just let send all these up and we're asking for all these exceptions to policy, then the policy is flawed. You got to work to change that policy to support the people or the organization. I think that's great. So maybe I talk about the, you know, the programs and the policies. Is it regimental sergeant major and something I talked to a squadron sergeant major about? We use those also because what I don't want to be doing is solving the same problem over and over again. Let's come up with a solution. And usually that is exactly what you're talking about is the program or the policy. So that we're not wasting organizational energy or mental energy of leaders solving the same thing over and over at times. But I think, you know, we'll also kind of tie in to a little bit of what you're, you're discussing is also part of that is, is the threshold. You can't, you can't circumvent a policy just because, you know, you want to submit it. You just, it's, it's inconvenient for you because that's not really kind of how it's designed. So you as a sergeant major, when you talk about the shape, is, hey, the standards are the standards. This is why the X policy exists. 
So that's what we're going to use it for. We're not going to use it for, for the personal benefit or, you know, that's not really what it's kind of designed for. But, yes. but yeah, not, a, not at the expense of a soldier. The, the other thing is learning how to communicate. There's more than one way to communicate. And it's the sender's responsibility to understand how the person on the other end of the communication best receives information. Because, you know, it's exactly what you're just saying right there is that it's very, it's more important that you understand how to communicate. If somebody receives something wrong and misinterprets what you say, or maybe even is offended, which I, I was very guilty of when I was young, starting first class and first art. Well, I'm just a blunt person. No, you're just actually a jerk. All right, fair enough. You know, and I had to learn I have to communicate differently because going into, you know, the influence, it's about the relationship, but it's also you're trying to accomplish something. You're trying to get something done. So whether you're talking to the staff or talking to a higher headquarters, you have a reason for talking to them. You're trying to get them to accomplish something for your organization. So then, therefore, you need to make sure you're communicating right so that you get them on your side and then they can help you accomplish whatever you're trying to accomplish. I've had to take a lot of humble pie and I've had to do a lot of self-reflection because I was I was absolutely terrible at it as a, as a first art and as a soldier's class. You can afford a, a little bit at, that, at those levels. I mean, people will forgive you based on uh, they, they understand what your motives are. And you get to see them every day. They get to see every day. But the more senior you get, you, you might not have interaction with the individuals that you're interfacing with on, on the same frequency. They, they will assume your motives for you. So talking about drive, you know, we talked about drive, the third focus area. You are going to be judged on your performance, on your ability to get results. Uh, your ability is to start making to do all the things we talked about. Influence and shape your organization is going to be measured by your ability to do but also for the savings as well. You know, when you ask a question, hey, what can I do for you? They're going to accept the result. Otherwise, it's just going to eventually go, well, I'm not going to mention anything for because he never gets anything done anyway. I'd, I'd say driving, I'd say one is uh, when you're trying to solve a dilemma and really having firsthand examples of that illustrates what the challenge is, I think that's really important to have. And then make, being able to make these things personal, whoever you're communicating with can, can take it on. Now, if you're, uh, I would say, don't be shy. Go to the source. If it's somebody that you're trying to influence or drive an activity, go spend some time and find out what the obstacles that they're experiencing. If it's a soldier issue, if it's something that, that you're having a challenge with, um, go to the source. It's easy for somebody to blow you off. Or when you send them an email or give them a phone call, it's harder for someone to tell you no face to face. We were getting ready to deploy and a soldier, uh, we were had been on leave and a soldier had moved into post quarters. He did that during the block leave time and he wouldn't take him block leave. He signed for a quarters and when we got back and his leadership went by, the home had mold, black mold in it. I was making his wife sick. The first sergeant came to me. I mean, I was a battalion at the time and said, hey, they won't let him move out of this house, blah, 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 blah. And I said, okay. So I went down to the community housing office. Yeah, we can't do it. He's already signed for it. I said, well, who, who can make the decision to move him out of that house? I said, tell me who the person is that has the authority to make this decision because I'm going to go see them next. So she called the person up and said, hey, I guess uh, this is our major here and he's coming to see you. They were telling me what all the obstacles were. I said, hey, check this out. If this soldier doesn't have keys to a new housing unit by noon, I'm going to the CG's office and I'm going to sit outside his office until he comes in. This lady said, well, we have to lay on transportation. I said, don't worry about transportation. I got a transportation company that can move all of his stuff. 
before noon, that soldier had new keys. I mean, leadership's risky business too. Don't go so far out on them. You can only do those type of things so so often. I tell people, hey, use the only use the munition that's like a escalation of force, right? Only use the munitions that you that's required to neutralize the target that you're. I had a soldier that had no heat in his house, so I went down there and uh, found out he hadn't had heat in his house for three months, and he bought a couple little space heaters. But here in Germany, you know, he had a baby, you know, they had a newborn, toddler, and everything else, and his wife. I mean, she's just like, it's so cold. So I called up DPW and said, here's the deal. I'm not leaving this house until the heat's turned on. And I need you to hurry because it's cold as about 35 minutes later. The housing chief shows up, same kind of thing. But you do, you have to be careful because you can do that too much as well. Um, but, you know, throughout your career, what, what's going to pave your success? What would you say? It really made you successful throughout your time. I think I just enjoyed what I did. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Um, Some of the best compliments I got from my kids was was they really didn't know what I did in the Army. But my extended family, they would ask me, you know, after 20 years, hey, when's enough enough? Because we were deploying quite a bit. I'm going to continue serving until I don't think I'm making a difference and I'm not having a good time because I, I just enjoy serving. I told people from 2001 until 2014, uh, 2012 was the only year that I didn't have months deployed. So that's what I did. I mean, just I just ran out of uh, uh, airspeed and altitude. I tell people this. You know, the Army is always an option. If you're truly just unhappy and you're not enjoying it, you're out of the Army. Uh, Colonel Ewers, uh, who's the current uh, regimental commander, started off as a private second cavalry regiment. And eventually went to West Point, went to Harvard, and now he's the colonel of TCR 30 years later. You can't do that in most walks of life. But you can absolutely do it in the Army. And oh, by the way, the Army's going to pay for everything along the way. It's just, it's remarkable. Yeah, the great great thing about the Army is, you, I mean, you come and it's a clean slate. Yeah. And you got to perform. I tell people I could have gotten out of the Army as a staff sergeant and I would have felt that I had made a difference in uh, and I would have been proud of my service. And so everything past that was gravy because I really didn't get my head on my fourth point of contact until I finally got out of Germany and, and reclassified to the infantry. I don't know if this story's in the book. I was an electronics mechanic and six weeks Absolutely. after I finished AIT from for 11 Bravo, I was in ranger school. And had I known what the uh, odds were of me being, being successful in ranger school where I probably wouldn't have gone. <laughs> I just did what they told me. Really what made me successful, I was relatively physically fit uh, and I was able to stay healthy my entire career. And I know that there's a lot of luck in there too. I've been hurt, but I haven't been injured. I would say I was physically fit. I loved being around soldiers. I was lucky. You brought it up, and I, I have to talk about it. Um, you know, Ranger School, and in your book, you even talked about it, uh, the expert soldier badge, which was still in the inception when you actually wrote the book, and now it's a program of record. Uh, 2CR alone has done uh, three already this year. We have a squadron that's up in Poland, uh, so I, we run one as a squadron. We run a hybrid EID ESV, so we just run it as a single that makes it super easy. Um, and uh, we have uh, we have another one this spring, and then we we'll run another one in regiment because you know we want to train experts. And then ranger school, you know, we have an extremely robust uh, pre ranger assessment. It's not a pre ranger; we still send them to RTAC, um, but we do like a five day kind of pre assessment to get them ready. But it's about you know building these experts, and, you know, 
building these, you know, these soldiers that are, that are willing to go do this stuff um, because they do make better leaders and they do make better soldiers. Talking about Ranger School and talking about, you know, the, the, the expert soldier badge and the EID, why do you think those are so important? And I, I want TCR to hear from you because they're sick and tired of hearing me probably say because I talk about it all the time constantly. I mean, it's just a mark of being a professional. It's another opportunity to have experiences. If we don't promote those programs, they'll die. Yeah. And really, it's about providing individuals the opportunity to excel. Not everybody's going to earn it the first time through. I'll tell you, as a as a first sergeant, I made it harder not to compete for EIB than it was to go ahead and compete for the EIB. Hey, this is a volunteer program. That's right. So by not competing... You're going to volunteer to do everything that supports EIB and the company. So you're going to work just as long and harder than everybody that's competing. And as a first sergeant, I mean, as an NCO, those are all individual team and crew tasks. I I would tell people, uh, I mean, I can put uh, earned EIB or, or expert soldier badge on an NCOER as a positive bullet, right? In theory, you could say, needs improvement, chose not to compete. Provided the opportunity and chose not to compete. You're right. I mean, it's on the training schedule. How can something on the training schedule be optional? When I was a first sergeant, um, it was a different time. There's a lot more going on. But in the, at the company, after two years, we had 21. We were averaging around 21 rangers in the company. We had 72 out of 106 had EIDs. That was just a standard infantry rifle company in the 101st. PFCs running around with ranger tabs on. And success begets success. So, I mean, it just grows. And so when you get that, in the, that's in the culture of the organization. What I talked to the first arts about is, is, what would your organization look like if you had 20 to 30 soldiers that had their ESP or had their EID? It completely changed the culture of the organization. When I joined the Army, I lacked three things. I lacked confidence, trust, and patience. And, and I gained a lot of that uh, throughout the years. And, and even more so since I've been out. I think EIB, Ranger, all those things, when you show, when you build competence in people and you give them repetitions through experience, uh, those two together provide competence. And then, and then when you have competent leaders, then you have credible leaders. And so I would say expert soldier badge, EIB. I don't think we talked about the EFMB, Ranger, all those type programs. Those are the things that give Soldiers, credibility in an organization, master gunner, those type programs in an organization. And here's what I would caution. Sometimes we make it so hard that they're not achievable. And we don't want to make things so challenging that they're not achievable. But we don't want to make it so easy. Everybody gets one either. Uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate uh, your time. And I know we had to call a couple audibles on this. Uh, this is been the episode I've been looking forward to for a very long time. And I appreciate all your insight, your guidance, and your continued mentorship. Um, so I will, I will turn it over to you for any kind of final comments you might have for TCR soldiers specifically, but we also have listeners uh, that listen to uh, the episodes as well outside. So anybody that is a, a leader or listener of the podcast, any uh, advice or closing comments you have. Yeah, I appreciate it so, Major Burke. I appreciate everything you're doing. Uh, just expanding your influence. I read your article on getting punched in the mouth. I think that was really good. I mean, it's really about taking risk and, and getting out with soldiers. And soldiers don't expect you to be the best, but they do expect you to be present. Presence matters. And thanks for being a presence in the organization. And thanks for including me in your, your efforts to uh, influence, develop your, your subordinates and your teams and your followers. Thank you very much. Thank you for being signing off.